I've got to work. I've got to pay my cable bill. I've got a car payment. You know, I've got to go to the grocery store. We need a new television. Is this really the meaning of life? Good morning and welcome to God's Resistance. God's Resistance is local in Wilkesbury in the Wyoming Valley. If you need someone to talk to or pray with and you're interested in joining a small group to help you live as a disciple of Christ, stay tuned for contact info. My name is Eric Samborski. I want to thank you for tuning into God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. You can hear us every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WITK 1550 a.m. and 94.7 FM. If you miss the radio program, then look for the God's Resistance podcast on your favorite podcast platform at 10 a.m. every Sunday where these are uploaded, and you will find other content on there as well. You can find us at godsresistance.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube at God's Resistance. That is G-O-D-S-R-E-S-I-S-T-A-N-C-E. Make sure to like and follow us and turn on notifications for helpful spiritual content. You can also contact us at gods.resistance at gmail.com or give us a call at 570-362-7782. Let's listen in on today's briefing. We are bombarded with psychological advertisement that is made specifically to make us feel like we're lacking something. We don't have something and we need it. We need to work, 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 and we need to buy, buy, buy because we need these things. That's essentially what happens. They, they, they gear things in such a way where it almost puts a pit in your stomach. You've got a doubt in your mind and you're thinking, well, what if what I have right now isn't everything that I should have? What if I really do need that thing and it gnaws at you? And even if it's not consciously, subconsciously, it works on you. And oftentimes we end up buying something because we think we need it because they've played with our minds and advertisement. Well, we're working oftentimes as a result, not only just of this, that's one thing, but just as a result of living in this materialistic culture in America, we are oftentimes uh, not working to support our needs, but to support the excess of our material possessions. Now, that's hard for us to swallow. It's hard for us to hear, but it really is true. If you were stripped down from most things in life, you will find out that you could survive with very little. And I'm not saying that to put a guilt trip on any of us if we have more. I've got more probably than what I need also. But what I'm saying is we can assess what we have and look at it squarely in the light of what Jesus would teach us. So what is the most important purpose of life then? Some say it's happiness. Uh, You know, you just got to be happy, man. Things are crazy in life. They're crazy in America right now. We need happiness. So do what makes you happy. Some say contentment. Well, you know, you just got to get to that place where you're just content. You've got, you've got enough. You can, you can survive. You've got your friends, your family. You've got a simple job. You know, you, you've got a pretty good life. So contentment, maybe. Some say accomplishment. It's not worth living unless you make your dent in society, unless you make your dent in the world or in the generation in which you live. So accomplishment is a lot of times people's drive. And, and I think money may be wrapped up in accomplishment because some people, they give their lives to making money. And when they make the goal of money that they wanted to, there's always more. It's an endless pursuit because they never can make enough. Well, what does Jesus say? 
Here I've talked about some of these situations, but what does he say about life? We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25 and going all the way through verse 34. Jesus said, this is still the Sermon on the Mount, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So here is some teaching. This sounds almost philosophical in some sense, but Jesus does bring it into a very narrow application. But really, this is good life advice, even if you weren't a Christian. He said, therefore, often I I heard some other preachers say this and it stuck with me for years. But here's what we need to think. When we read the word therefore in the Bible, we need to see what it is there for. Oftentimes we can cherry pick scriptures and make the Bible say things God never intended it to. But if we see the word therefore, we must explore and find out why it's there, what it's there for. And it is the context of the chapter before. And just what we had been talking about even the last broadcast, you can't serve God and money, he said. You can't have two masters. You can only have one master, and you only can serve one master to the fullest. He said you can't serve God and money because you'll either love one and hate the other or despise one and reject the other. So we've got to choose. And he says, therefore, because of this teaching which I've just told you, don't be anxious about your life. Do not be anxious about your life. You think to yourself, well, if I'm not anxious about my life and I don't care, Well, then who is going to care for my life? I care about myself the best. That may be some thoughts that you have. But he's speaking about our thought life. What goes on up in here? What's the dominant thoughts that uh, continually dwell there? The thought process that we may find in in like a resting state and we just realize our thoughts are kind of going there. What about our cares? Our thought life is very closely linked to our cares, the things that we find most valuable. So he's speaking about our thought life and our cares. What is the most of our focus on? He says, don't be anxious. So another thing for us to realize here is a definition for anxious. Now, this is just something you can do in a Google search and find in definition there, but two, two different definitions. Experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent, that means something that's going to happen really soon, about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Definition number two, wanting something very much, typically with a feeling of unease. And I think that is probably more closely related to the context of what Jesus is speaking about. Wanting something very much typically with a feeling of unease. And now here, Jesus does speak about our needs, but this could apply to that keeping up with the Joneses mentality, that pressure to have all the uh, glittering stuff of this uh, life that we're living in. You know, well, that's what they say I need to have. So any, any way that you look at it, it's that unease, that desire to want something so badly, and yet it just makes you uneasy in your pursuit after it's dominating everything in your life or at least a good portion of it. He said, do not be anxious. And it wasn't just full stop, like don't be anxious. I do want to just make a disclaimer here. Sometimes anxiety 
uh, is a medical condition in that anxiety roots not necessarily from our thoughts, though our thoughts can play a part in it, but anxiety can be uh, some kind of disease inside of our body or inside of our nerves that we can't control um, in some respect. So I don't want people who are in that position to think that God is beating them over the head with that, but we are responsible for our thoughts. We are responsible for what we focus our attention and time to. And we do our, we're going to do our part there with those. But if there's some kind of diseased state, we have to leave the rest up to God or, or go to a doctor or something and have them, uh, you know, give us a physical checkup or something. He is specifically speaking about not being anxious about your life. And he, he, he makes it very specific, which we'll get into. But he says, don't be anxious about your life. That is your life here on earth. And here's the specifics. What you're going to eat what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear. Are these things the whole meaning of existence? A lot of times, you would say no with your lips. Well, that's not the meaning of existence, what I eat, what I drink, and what I'm going to wear. We would say that with our lips. We know it's the right answer, but oftentimes the way we live and the way we act things out betrays those declarations we've made with our mouths. We know that there's more to life than just those things, but oftentimes, we live in such a way that it's like we're living for those things. And so we have to be careful about that. So are these things the whole meaning of existence? This is essentially what Jesus is drilling down into our hearts and into our minds, getting us to think about this. Isn't life more than material pursuit? I know that it's very easy to get caught up in stuff as we're moving around in our everyday life. There's a whole lot to bombard us, especially in an age of social media and YouTube and all that. It's like there's this artificial life that you and I are a part of, and yet it seems to dominate so that we almost don't even pay attention to the life that's right in front of our face that we can touch with flesh and blood. But isn't life more than just this material pursuit? I mean, I know I'm bombarded about all this, but what about those times where you're disconnected and and thoughts come into your mind? You know, these are where the grand philosophical questions come from. They come from that place of quiet when you really think about things. And here's the questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? That helps us to understand a little bit more that there is a higher purpose in life than just nine to five job, taking care of my family, making money, buying stuff. Why am I here? Who am I? Where am I going? Those are things that you and I need to think about. Life is so much more than just this materialistic endeavor. And our country's in such a bad place because of this. And it's not just happened overnight. It's happened over the span of so many years. We have increasingly become so materialistic that we're so self-absorbed that we don't even think about the most important things of life. Sometimes people break out of it, and you see some of that. And so maybe they focus on family and they focus on health, but there's even, it's even more than that. There's an existential question that you and I need to answer. Why am I alive? Why am I even here? Who am I? What is the purpose of my life? Those are questions we need to think about. Jesus is telling us, do not be anxious about what you eat, what you drink, and what you put on your clothes. If you are anxious about those, like we said before, wanting something so much that you typically have a feeling of unease about this that you want, that consumes your attention on the things that matter the least. Take a lesson from nature, Jesus says. Look at the birds, verse 26, of the air. 
They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So think about it for a second. Look at the birds. Honestly, Jesus is telling us to. Doesn't God take care of the birds? They don't plant gardens. They don't tend to them and then lay up all of what they've done in the harvest time and stick things in barns. They just go about the task. They, they get their day's food. They eat. They sleep. They, they find shelter. They build nests for their young. Very simplistic. And yet God takes care of them. In other words, birds are not anxious like humans, and yet they survive through all the four seasons. I mean, especially if you're up in the northern parts of the United States or the northeast is where I am. And uh, if you're listening on the radio, that's where you are. Uh, The birds survive through all four seasons, spring, summer, fall, winter, and they survive. God takes care of birds and God's created order. He is so interconnected everything in his created order so that these animals, not just birds, but all of them, can survive without having anxious thought. I mean, obviously, we know that they have instinct that drives them to do those things, but then the providence of God is that he's made things in such a way that every one of them, you know, has sustenance, can be taken care of. He cares for those little things like birds, like animals. And the question then is, if God cares for birds so much, what do you think that he thinks about you as a human created in his own image? You know, we have organizations like PETA protecting animals, and yet it's okay now to murder babies in the womb, sometimes up until the point of birth. And it's atrocious to think that way. God puts the highest value on human life. That doesn't mean that God puts no value on animals. We just heard that God cares for the birds. But he also cares for humans, and infinitely more so does he care for humans than animals. So God puts the highest value on human life because we are his image bearers. We are created in the image of God, and the image of God created he male and female. No animal can think and reason like a human can. No animal has a spiritual connection like a human being does. They can't feel the same kind of soulish emotion that you and I can feel. No doubt they have instinctual things like fear, and then they have pleasure when they're eating and they satisfy an appetite, but they don't have those higher things of honor. They don't have those higher things of sacrificial love. They don't have uh, all these, these great endowments that you and I have as humans because They weren't created in the image of God. So what does that mean? If God cares for birds, what does he think of you? You are of infinite more worth than birds. You have so much value in the sight of God. Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Have you noticed that when you're stressed out to get something done, you probably only save on average maybe two to three minutes? Like if you feel you're late, you're late to get somewhere and you get in the car and you're, you're speeding and you're stuck behind people in traffic and you stop at the light and you're thinking, oh man, I got to get there. Come on, get out of the way. I got to go. I got to go. And you're trying to drive faster and faster and you drive faster to the next stoplight and drive faster to the next stoplight and you go, 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 go. 
you've got all that stress and say maybe you're, you you got to do a 15 to 20 minute drive. You've got all that stress of the 15 or 20 minutes and all you squeezed out was two minutes, maybe. Sometimes you get nothing. You still get there late. So I'm sure you've noticed that. It's probably not much, much better quality work than if we just tried to go ahead without being stressed out or without being anxious as this particular scripture is dealing with. At, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of your life, Jesus is asking. This is the principle that Jesus is trying to get us to consider. If we are super anxious, we'll, are we going to be able to make ourselves grow an inch taller? Here it says a cubit or a span. That is a cubit from the Bible is a measurement from the crease of our elbow to where our palm begins, the crease of our wrist. That would be a cubit. Now I'm asking you, what about an inch? Can you even add an inch to your height by worrying, by anxiety? By just stressing yourself out, can you do that? If we're super anxious, are we going to make ourselves live any longer? Are we going to live longer just because of our anxieties? It's crazy how the human brain works. It's crazy how the mind and the heart work. I remember before I was saved, before I became a Christian and gave my life over to God, I was so overcome with hypochondria that you know, I would be up all night thinking I'm going to die. I've got some terminal something or other that's going to kill me and blah, 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 all these thoughts that come to mind. And, you know, all of that worry didn't make me any healthier. All of that worry didn't stop me from dying if God wanted me to die at those times. That's easier said than done when you're in some scary situations. But after I got saved, I got Lyme disease and I had really awful experiences and issues that happened with my heart that I mean, it made me, because I was a Christian, I had a different outview and I had a God of whom I could look up into his face and trust him to help me through some terrible times because then I actually had more things to be concerned about. But you know, being overly concerned about those things would not stop me from passing on if God so chose. And I think that's kind of the things that, that he's saying. It's like he's saying to us, you as human beings have so little control over things in life. You've got control over your choices and what you do. But other than that, I don't really have a whole lot of control. I don't know what's going to happen in the next hour. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I have no idea. I can plan and I can probably reasonably expect certain things to happen, but I really honestly don't know. There's too many variables. And so Jesus is trying to help us to understand that. How much power do you really think you have? I think that's the question Jesus is bringing out here. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Well, verse 28. It's a rhetorical question, obviously. He realizes that the people that are listening to him are going to say, I can't do that. And so verse 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Apparently, by this verse, we can deduce that Clothing was a big concern in the time of Christ. Uh, it wasn't like what you and I have now where we can go down to Walmart. People wove clothing. They spun their yarns or threads or whatever material they would use to make clothing. They spun it all hand, uh, hand spun it themselves. So we may not think of the things uh, like Jesus is talking about the same in our present day America. But I will say that people work long, long hours to pay tons of money on clothes that they don't end up wearing for very long. 
And then they all end up at the thrift store anyways. How many times I've gone to a thrift store, gone shopping, and it looks like there's clothes there that no doubt a pair of jeans probably cost like 80 bucks, 100 bucks. I don't even know what they cost anymore. I almost refuse to buy new new stuff because there's so much inside of a thrift store. But you go there and you, and you see some of them with tags on them. And I'm thinking, how much money was spent on this? And, and then nobody ever wore this? Or maybe they wore it like three times? I have no idea. It's like a disease almost. People have so many shoes. They got so many articles of clothing. And I'm not against having clothing and shoes and all that. I'm just saying the overabundance of things and people working jobs and spending loads of money just to get this stuff. And think about it. All that effort. All that time. All that stress. For what? He's telling us, consider the lilies, consider the flowers of the field. Jesus is informing us to take a lesson from nature once again. Can lilies stress out? Can lilies be anxious? They're not toiling on and on and on like you and I are. They're not out trying to make the best dollars so that they can clothe themselves gorgeously. They're flowers. They're not frantically trying to weave new clothing. Oh, we've got to do this. So now I've got to spin some yarn. I've got to put all that together. And then besides that, I've got to put it through the weaver's beam. And I've got to push this back and forth and make this piece of cloth so that I can be clothed. And I want it to be nice and beautiful. Lilies don't do that. Lilies are fragile plants that grow and they're dependent on the rain. They're dependent on the sun. And God takes care of those. He gives them rain. He gives them sun. They grow and they're beautiful flowers. And so he's trying to get us to take a lesson from nature, or multiple lessons from nature, that is. Uh, Verse 29, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these lilies. They are under the direct supervision and hand of God, and God clothes the lilies more beautiful than Solomon in all of his house. Now, why is that so important to us? Because Solomon, we're told, had lots of money, lots of riches. He was the richest man on earth during his lifetime. His kingdom was full of glory and riches. There was no king on earth that even came close to Solomon in riches and glory. No king on earth. The queen of Sheba even came, and she said she'd heard about the fame of Solomon, his wisdom and his riches, but the half had not even been told her. So God is trying to help us to realize that. And of course, he's speaking... To those that would have had a Jewish background, not everybody in America may have understood Solomon as clearly as the listeners that Jesus was speaking to at this time. But if we know a little bit of the Bible, we can pull some of these things together and understand the point he's making. Not even the richest person on earth is clothed like a lily. Think about it. It's almost miraculous. Verse 30. Here's the reasoning now. We've observed nature. Now here's what I want you to think about, says Christ. But if God... So clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith, O you of little faith? Let's talk about that for a moment, clothing the grass of the field. Now, every place in the country is a little bit different, but you can go by a meadow and you can look out in in the meadow with waving grasses and oftentimes there's wildflowers and things that are speckled in it and so it has like its own beauty about it people in those times would use some of the dried grasses or herbs or things that were growing in fields they would use that to heat their ovens or they'd use it for medicinal purposes so what jesus is trying to tell us is those 
grasses and those herbs of the fields, they have such a short lifespan. But even God condescends down to those little plants and still treats them with such care, utmost care, giving them rain and sunshine and cultivating them and speckling the land throughout the United States with beauty and even usefulness as they were using it for those medicinal things. So he's saying, look at the grass. How long does grass live? Not very long. If he cares, if God cares for those little insignificant things like grass and a field, how much more do you think he cares about you, listener? You, an image bearer of God himself. How much more do you think he cares about you? And then he ends with this, oh, you of little faith. What does that tell us? It tells us that little faith is the problem of our anxieties. It's our small trust in God is the source of these undue cares of life. And I say, Lord, help us to trust your word. Help us to trust what you've said. Help us to be like little children. And that's what he's trying to do by giving these teachings to the people that were around him then and then preserving them so that you and I can read these as well. Verse 31, therefore, again, see what it's there for. We've just gone through all that in these previous verses. Therefore, because of what I've just taught you about nature and all, do not be anxious. Don't be anxious saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? You know, when there is that kind of hysteria in life, it doesn't allow us to think very clearly. It muddles our thinking when we're in hysterics. We just kind of go into this fight or flight mode and just kind of go like a wild animal instead of like a thoughtful human that God has made us to be. He says, don't be anxious thinking about these things. I've already pointed you to nature and showed you I take care of nature. And he said, you're, you're worth more than the grass and the flowers. So verse 32, the Gentiles. For so the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The Gentiles here meaning the nations. This verse makes it clear that Jesus is here talking to believers. If you were a believer, he's saying, if you are a believer, don't act like the unbelieving world around you with their anxieties. The unbelieving world lives and breathes for material possessions at large. And he's telling us, God knows you need these basic material possessions to survive while you're here on this earth. Who will you trust? Your own failing strength or the never failing power of God? That is really what Jesus is doing is bringing us to that decision. So then he says this, this is what you're supposed to do, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. This speaks about getting our priorities straight. Notice it says first, which implies that there is a second. He does want us to work. We're not to be lazy and just give up. He wants us to seek first the kingdom of God. He doesn't want us to have an excuse to be lazy and not work for our needs, but to keep the kingdom of God as first priority and trust God to provide our basic necessities. He wants us to keep that in the focus and these other things will be taken care of. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's telling us, have faith in God, live for him today, and he knows you have these simple necessities. He's taken care of those things in nature with utmost care, and you are of more value to him than all of that. So trust him today, 
Work for him in his kingdom today. Keep those things first, and he is going to give you the very things that you need. So what is the motivating factor of your life? Is it that rat race from nine to five? Is it the next and newest best thing? Is it happiness and contentment or accomplishment? What is the motivating factor of your life? Are you seeking those things first and just kind of leaving God in the dust? Let me ask you a question. What would happen if you sought God first? What does God tell you would happen? He says, if you seek his kingdom first, he'll give you all of these things. So I don't know where you are on this, but you're uh, to keep your number one pursuit, God's kingdom and his righteousness and trust him to provide your needs for this life. Your next step is to call 570-362-7782 or email gods.resistance at gmail.com to introduce yourself to me, to set up a time that we can meet so I can coach and help you to further your walk with God. Make sure then to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for more teaching, preaching uh, to help you on your journey. And you can connect with others that are on their journey as well. Tell your friends about this broadcast every Sunday on WITK at 9 a.m. Tell them about our social media accounts as well. And above all, join the resistance, God's resistance. Special thank you to Spectacular Sound Productions for giving permission for the use of the song Heroes and Monsters, which was edited and used in part on this production. The permission was granted under Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International Creative Commons license. That license may be found at https colon forward slash forward slash creativecommons.org forward slash licenses forward slash by hyphen essay forward slash 4.0 forward slash legal code.